how about those blue bonnets? <laughs> yeah, it's spring, and we're we're blessed to be able to be in God's house this morning, and uh, so thankful that you could be here and join us. And for those of you that are online and have the compromised immune systems, we uh, we welcome you uh, to our time together in God's Word. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your mercies and loving kindness. Uh, we're mindful of the blessings that have been given at your hand uh, to us as your people. Uh, we're reminded that you're our Jehovah Jireh, our provider, our heavenly Father that provides, that protects and cares for his children. And uh, Lord, we pray that your blessing would be upon your people. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us with might by your spirit in the inner person that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith and that we may be rooted and grounded in that love and able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. And we thank you, Lord, for this power your mighty power which works within us as your people. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that in a time when <clears throat> we have leadership in Washington, D.C., that calls for a national day of prayer, uh, that we're faithful as your people to respond uh, to that, uh, to that uh, call. And, Lord, that we engage ourselves in intercessory prayer for our country uh, and for the world that we uh, lay ourselves before you uh, to uh, call upon your mercies. We ask, Lord God, that you would grant our nation repentance and even as we uh, endure some crises that, uh, Lord, our hearts are turned toward you and that in repentance as uh, your people uh, that we may return to that relationship with you that is right and proper. Uh, for you are our Lord and God. We give you grace and give thanks to you this morning and ask your blessing upon our time as we open your word. We pray and lift these things to you in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> I would like to read <clears throat> through the 11 verses there. <clears throat> I'll read out loud and you follow along. <clears throat> Therefore, you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for, that you, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation 
of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality or incorruption eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation for there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of men who does evil for of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory and honor and peace to every man who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there's no partiality with God and we'll stop there with the reading of his word this morning may God add his blessing to the reading of his word and may his spirit grant us understanding that the word of God may become live and powerful in our hearts and lives as God's people. And may he order your steps and my steps in accordance with his word. So uh, let's take a look then at Romans chapter 2 and just uh, by way of, of uh, what we have uh, covered in the past and what we would look at uh, this morning, we want to uh, speak and address the issue of God's impartial judgment. You will remember in our studies <clears throat> in chapter 1 uh, that there's some universal truths that are mentioned there and I'd like to uh, remember those uh, this morning as we, as we begin just by way of introduction. Uh, the gospel is God's power for salvation, and that's the topic that we're looking at. When we come here to chapter 2, uh, we'll remember that, um, uh, that, that God has, has uh, through, through the Apostle Paul, has, has brought out the point that the righteous man shall live by faith. The just live by faith. Uh, and so that's a universal principle and truth. It's taught in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament. It's the, the general principle about righteousness. There's a power of God that's in the gospel that is unto righteousness. There's a, po a power of God for salvation. And there's uh, the righteous and the wicked. And these are, are universally true principles. And then there's the, the point that he makes in, in verses... Uh, uh, 18 in regard to the wrath of God because here he begins to pick up this principle that the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so he moves there into this uh, exposition of uh, the, the nature of man's sin. Notice that it says that that the, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he picks up this topic in chapter 1 and basically describes the, the heart of the pagan man that's never heard uh, any of the special revelation that God has given through the law uh, or through his, his uh, spoken and expressed word through the prophets. And basically he, he brings pagan men under the condemnation that, uh, that he has this innate sense. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, 
His uh, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood uh, by the things uh, which were created so they are without excuse because we have an innate God consciousness within us, an innate understanding that as God's creatures that we're accountable to our Creator. And this is uh, the general principle and judgment is based upon that and the separation of that uh, all unrighteousness of the wicked, of man's uh, fallen nature <clears throat> is, is under this condemnation, under this expressed condemnation. Well, in chapter 2, we've come to the moral man, the man who uh, has been given after the fall. You'll remember that man was given under the age of conscience, he was given understanding of good and evil. And his conscience bears witness against uh, those things which are unrighteous, those things which are evil, those things which are, uh, would hold us accountable to our God and Creator. So moral man is, is judged by, according to uh, the verses that we looked at last time in verses 1 through 4, He's judged by his faulty conscience because the point has been made here that uh, this uh, faulty conscience uh, will, it has that capacity to, uh, to live with hypocrisy. In other words, we will look at someone and we automatically have that innate sense within us that's, that sees when someone is stealing something or acting corruptly that we make that judgment because God has given us in conscience uh, that understanding of right and wrong. He's given us a, an innate understanding of justice. And, and so we understand there's, there's, just a, uh, there's just a sense about us that uh, to know that, that when we see horrible things that happen in the world that we live in, that uh, there's, there's a sense in which we know that God is going to reconcile these things. He's going to address these things as God, and there will be justice. There's just a sense of knowing that, uh, that, um, uh, that the corruption and the crime and the evil that runs uh, in our, our culture uh, will be addressed by God, by the, our Creator. And uh, so, but our conscience is faulty for, so, because the point being made here in verses 1 through 4 is that while we look and we say, well, God will take care of these things, we ignore the reality that we do the same things that in our fallen nature that uh, we might look at the pagan man and say, look at all he does, I'm not that bad. And so we make our comparison uh, not on the basis of God's holiness and God's righteousness, but on the basis of comparison with somebody that acts a little worse than we do. And so we justify ourselves, right? Well, that's called self-righteousness, and the moral man carries that judgment. So the moral man is judged by his faulty conscience. He's judged by, the scripture says in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly, and what it means is, and that word means, is, is 
uh, is according to truth. The judgment of God is according to, to not our special standard of, of righteousness whereby we compare ourselves to someone that's done worse things than we have, but we compare ourselves uh, to God's truth. And that's a whole different ballgame. Because what we find with that is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That uh, he is re- the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And what it does is, is simply this, brothers and sisters. It brings us into the place of understanding that, that all have sinned. Uh, that, that we're not exempted because it's according to God's truth. It's according to a standard that's way higher than what our standard would be as fallen men. And we have the sense and the ability to justify uh, ourselves before God. And then a, a, a fourth point there is that, is that the moral man is judged by self-righteously reasoning that we will escape. We have an ability to do that, don't we? We have the ability to, to, to kind of... Uh, like water off the duck's back, uh, shed that and, and put our minds on the, the fact that, uh, well, uh, if I do, if, if I go back to church, uh, if I uh, do these many good things, it'll balance out and all will be well. And we kind of uh, ignore that principle and that truth that's given according to truth in God's word is that the wages of our sin is death. It's death. Uh, all sin. The wages of sin is death. And all have uh, fallen short, including the moral man. And then uh, the, another point there is that moral man is judged by uh, despising God's kindness. When we see his withholding justice and judgment upon our sin then we presume upon that, don't we? And the moral man is is great for doing that. That's why Jesus uh, gave a lot more attention to the the man under the law and the the moral man and the self-righteous than he did to the sinners uh, in regard to confrontational rebuke uh, for their their special nature and manner of sin. Uh, A lesson to us all the manner in which Jesus dealt with the moral individual, with the self-righteous individual. And many times in, in the Gospels, Jesus Christ would tell his disciples, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And that's the message, that all are fallen short, that the moral man is not exempted from God, that's a, that judgment is according to God's truth. That means we're all sunk. It means that there's, there's no hope uh, in regard to, humanly speaking, human self-righteousness. It means that there's no way to fix my fleshly body to make it presentable to God. Uh, there's not some restoration. And God makes this clear that, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a transformation. There must be a, a complete inward change of our lives that can only take place through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so uh, Paul is establishing 
this principle and these truths. And what does it bring us back to? But to this truth that the righteous man or the just man shall live by faith. He lives by faith not only uh, in that the penalty of his sin was borne by Christ on the cross of Calvary and paid for in full. And we trust that because otherwise our sin leads to death. And this is the point that Paul is making. There's no, there's no avoiding that for us. There was no other thing that could be done. And that's why Paul praises for, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. Oh, we need, brothers and sisters, to, to lay hold of the reality of this truth that, that God's word, that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only power. It's the, it's the only thing uh, by which the, the righteous man uh, may live by faith, by trust in what God has done and in that alone. There's no power, no strength within our human flesh. And so uh, we, we want to lay hold of the, of the glory of the gospel. And that's the point that Paul is making here, um, that, uh, that these things we're accountable to before God and that uh, total depravity does not uh, simply mean that we're going to act as de totally depraved as some of the pagan people and those that reject God and fall into idolatry and are given over by God into, uh, into very serious, immoral, and, and uh, uh, the scripture says that they dishonored their own bodies. <clears throat> and the body was, was created in regard to the, in, in the image of God. We were created in the image of God to reflect the glory of God. And that's what happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ because not only are we justified from the penalty of sin, but the scripture tells us that, we're <clears throat> that the righteous man lives by faith and that means that through faith that we may know the power of God and so what we can't do by reforming our flesh, the power of the gospel enables us <clears throat> to know the power of God over sin in our lives as well because the righteous man lives by faith. The moral man can't live by self-righteous morality. The moral man must live by God's righteousness that is given through Jesus Christ, that is transformational, that is miraculous in its nature because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the transformation that takes place when we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things become new. And the old, the flesh, and the fleshly nature will still war against the new nature, against the spirit. But God's power through faith is uh, enabling to God's people. So well, let's look then at verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now what we want to look at in God's impartial judgment this morning is that God's true impartial judgment 
demands that this day of wrath and righteous judgment. There's a, a day coming. It's delayed, but the, the truth of the matter is this judgment according to truth that we looked at in verse 2 there, know that the judgment of God rightly befalls upon those who practice such things that God's true and impartial judgment demands this day of wrath, this day of righteous judgment where our God and Creator <clears throat> will hold all accountable. And that's what the Scripture tells us over and over and time and again. Unfortunately, in the church in modern times, we have dropped the reality that the Scripture, the Word of God, that the communication that God has given to us is that there will be a true and impartial day of judgment that God will bring upon all mankind, that we will answer before our God and Creator, that these bodies that were designed to reflect the glory of God, that were created in His image, that God holds us accountable. And what does it mean to be accountable? The Scripture set teaches us, and we learn that uh, uh, ungodliness is, is when we knew God, that we honored Him not as God or gave thanks. It's we neglect the reality that we are to submit our lives and ourselves in a right and proper relationship to our God and Creator. And that word submission is, is a hard thing in our day and time because we cherish our independence. We want our toilet paper and we, uh, we want to be uh, in control and in charge. And, uh, but the message is that God is our God and that uh, all things have been given by our Creator's hands and we're accountable to Him. So God's true and impartial judgment demands this day of wrath. And the scripture says, for it is stored up, it is laid up for all again. This day of judgment uh, for all stored up for ungodliness and unrighteousness. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You are storing up wrath. So what does that mean? What does it mean to store up wrath? It's like there's a, a treasure chest here and you're taking uh, this, this, this uh, in a, a negative sense, uh, a treasure and storing up these things. And, and the, the, the point that, that is being made in Scripture, the Apostle Paul is making here, is that it doesn't come immediately. But there is a coming day of judgment when God's true and impartial judgment will take place. A day of wrath and righteous judgment. And then secondly, it's for the stubborn and unrepentant hearts. The stubborn and unrepentant hearts. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's, it's so needful for us to, to, to be mindful uh, how easy it is for us not to cherish the Word of God, for our hearts to become hardened, uh, for us to, to justify ourselves in, in uh, a, a perceived self-righteous standard that's, that's contrary to the truth of God. 
And we're all susceptible to it. We're susceptible to it as believers in Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts need to be tender toward the truth of His Word. And we need to, to, to remind ourselves that we're to respond to His Word. That we're to, to cherish His Word. That He loves us enough to communicate things that we so desperately need to hear and to know and to understand that we have this, this stubbornness in our flesh. Our fleshly nature is going to contend. It will never want to do what God wants us to do. And it, it required the, the work that Jesus Christ did, the, the transformation of our, our inner being, our human hearts. And so the Apostle Paul prays, uh, you know, I, I prayed this prayer for us uh, that, that, that according to the riches of your glory, that you may strengthen uh, your people with might by your spirit and in the inner person that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. And we need a tenderness toward the reality that that's, that's what we need, that we need Christ in our heart and his word dwelling in our heart. And the scripture says, and the Lord Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything without the Lord Jesus Christ. We're hopeless and helpless in our flesh apart from the mighty power of God that works within us. That power which works within God's people. Paul expressed it like this. I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Boy, if we could catch a, a vision of what it means for God's mighty power and His Spirit to work within us in such a way that we, that we wake up by faith, putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and giving ourselves, putting our, our, our self to death. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's that power. That power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead <clears throat> has been given to you and to me as God's people. And our stubborn hearts, our unrepentant hearts, it's constantly in conflict and in battle. Uh, but the inner man, the inner person is to be strengthened. That's why we come to church. And we feed on God's Word. And we hear the truth of God's Word. And we study the book of Romans because it's a treasure. It is it's such a blessing that we can, can know God's Word. And understand His impartial judgment. And that our hearts are tender toward our Lord and God. That we're reminded that, that we know God and yet we do not honor Him as God. We honor Him as God this morning. Uh, and do you do you give thanks to him and and take that time? Well, certainly you do. You're here for that very reason. But we need to remind ourselves and to be uh, awakened by God's spirit that we have stubborn and unrepentant hearts and in our flesh in regard to the moral man is always the same. It's always that stubborn and unrepentant heart. Uh, so uh, may we be brought by the spirit and power of God to that place of repentance that we might know as God's people.
And as we uh, look further in God's word, we, we find ourselves in verse 6, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So God's true and impartial judgment demands um, that uh, there is recompense for each person's works. And the scripture is, is just, it's just repeated over and over and time again with these things. Psalm 66, 12 says, And the loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. So there's this principle. There's another universal principle at work here. And that universal principle is that God uh, rewards us according to uh, the, the, the work, the deeds that we do in the flesh. There's a, a natural thing in order. Uh, if you uh, embark on immorality, it promotes death. It brings death. If you embark uh, upon a journey uh, for a higher calling that God has given to us as those who are created in His image and is born again in Christ Jesus, there's reward for that. There's blessing in it. And the point being made in these verses is not that, you, uh, that our work uh, obtains our salvation. It's very clear from, from the word here. But there's, uh, there's life, eternal life, in works that are eternal in nature. And there's death and wickedness and evil and destruction that is in bad works. And it's that, that message is given over and over through Scripture. A couple of other verses here just to make the point. Uh, For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Uh, did you know that? Are you aware that there's nothing hidden from God that He will bring uh, to to every act to judgment, everything which is hidden. Uh, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and verse 4 that, that there will be a day when he judged the, the secrets, uh, the things done in secret and the, the, the intentions of the heart of each person. And he will render to each man uh, that reward. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaking there in regard to rewards. Read 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, it is appointed unto the stewards that they're faithful. And he, he, he carries this, this theme uh, that uh, there's eternal life for you and for me in Jesus Christ. When Christ works in us, when we labor striving according to that power for that higher calling that God has given to us. There's life there. There's things that that, that don't just pass away because we're in a world where things are very temporal and they pass away and, and man is like the flower of the field so he flourishes and the wind passes over and he's gone and the place thereof shall know it no more. And life is br as brief and it's temporal and we're all going to die as we uh, the coronavirus is made very uh, evident to us. And so grab that toilet paper or, or in, in invest in uh, those things which are eternal in nature because that's the blessing that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. And then in Proverbs 24, 12, if you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider 
it who weighs the hearts and does he not know it who keeps your soul and will he not render to every man according to his work? According to our works, God will, um, will render. There's a justice. There's a, a, a judgment, a, a justice that takes place with God's people. Uh, a day of wrath and righteous judgment, uh, both for the good and the bad. And, and the scripture um, lays this dividing line between the righteous and the wicked. So looking at verse 7 then, uh, God renders or he recompenses to each person uh, uh, for his works. Uh, so though it's delayed, though there may be a delay, uh, the, the, the absolute truth of the matter is, is that our God and creator will recompense to each person according to their works. In verse 7 it says, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality or incorruptibility is maybe a better translation of that word, eternal life. Okay, Romans 2.7 here. All right, so uh, God is going to recompense to each person. He's going to render to each person according to their deeds. And then it, it, it separates uh, the, the righteous and the wicked here and, and addresses them. Okay, the righteous are those who persevere in doing good and they seek for glory and honor and immortality. Um, uh, these words here, there's, there's some principles uh, that I want to make. Um, the principle of the righteous shall live by faith, it carries throughout the dis different dispensations of the scripture. Um, so what does it look like um, for the righteous man in Cain and Abel's day. Uh, what, uh, what separated Cain from Abel? And what was it that, that Abel did uh, that was righteous and, and uh, revealed uh, the, the fruit of one who was seeking for glory and honor and immortality? One who was persevering and doing good. What did what did Abel do? The proper sacrifice. Right. Okay. So we see uh, one who was was not perfect. If we look, we go through the different dispensations of Scripture, and we look at these people uh, that are the righteous in the Scripture, the righteous who live by faith, and those that are listed in the book of Hebrews and that kind of thing, we look at their lives and they're pretty messy, you know. I mean, I can't think of, of any one of them or, or very few of them whose lives weren't just just pretty messy with sin in one area or another. But what, uh, what made the difference with uh, Noah? Was Noah a perfect man? Uh, was he a sinless man? Let me put it that way. No, but if, if he was righteous and he lived by faith, uh, what did Noah look like? He preached uh, repentance for 120 years while the ark was being made and was faithful uh, to God. He was one that was seeking for uh, glory and honor and incorruptibility, immortality, uh, that eternal life. And he was doing it. How was he doing that? By faith. So... We see 
in, in uh, these different time periods, uh, different people, and we can go through the scripture. Um, what was it that Moses did? Uh, in light of, of God's calling for him, he, he laid aside, the scripture says, the treasures of Egypt uh, to pursue uh, being with the people of God and pursuing uh, God. He, he was seeking for glory uh, it, that was in another day, in another place, in another way that was beyond this world. He was living by faith, right? And we can go all through the scripture in different dispensations uh, when it comes to the gospel. Well, what does it mean when the, the Apostle Paul is saying uh, that we live by faith? We seek for glory and honor an immortality in Jesus Christ. And uh, there's, there's this, this walk of faith that is characteristic of God's people. There's a principle in, in Scripture. We've, we've learned it and looked at it in our studies with the young adults on the life of David. But at the beginning of, of 1 Samuel, uh, we have Eli and his sons, and they were, they were uh, doing wickedness in the temple, some horrible things in the tabernacle, I'm sorry. And, uh, and God pronounced judgment, and, and he gave a universal principle through a prophet, and it's recorded in the book of Samuel. And I think this principle runs throughout the whole entire Old Testament. And the principle is in, uh, in 1 Samuel uh, 2.30 here, and that it's these persevering seekers are rewarded eternal life. They seek for this glory and honor and incorruptibility. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. It's just the general principle. Those who honor God. And we find that, don't we, in the book of Romans here in chapter 1. Uh, for when they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. There's a recognition and acknowledgement that you are God and I am not. There's a recognition and acknowledgement that I am your creature and I'm to submit to your, to your will, to, to your purposes for my life. So the Apostle Paul uh, tells us that, that it's in, according with, with, in accordance with God's calling for our lives that we may lay hold of that for which we've been laid hold of, uh, that, that we're owned and possessed by our Creator and our God. And the submission to that reality to honor him as God is hugely significant. It's what is characteristic of one who lives by faith. It's to, that we want to be here at church because we want to honor God. We want to come together and gather corporately and express, God, we honor you. We give glory to you as God. We acknowledge that you are God. We acknowledge that we are not. We acknowledge that honor belongs to you. We acknowledge that we should be thankful to you as our God and Creator, regardless of what He brings about in our lives and what He chooses to bring about as our benevolent God and Creator, uh, be it good or bad. That His Word is true, that all things in life will work together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Are you loved? and called by God according to His purposes? Uh, if you are, then it's a great treasure. It's a wonderful thing, and it's worthy of us uh, coming 
and, and worshiping before God and giving thanks to God for these wonderful things that he has done. And so moving on then to uh, beyond uh, this, we find by contrast uh, in verse 8, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there's wrath and indignation. God's true and impartial judgment demands recompense for each person's works. Self-seekers are rewarded with wrath and indignation. What does self-seeker mean? It means one that indulges uh, in uh, what life uh, means if, if I uh, imagine it, uh, if I in, in uh, self-lordship, and self-promotion, uh, seek God's place as God. Think about it. What does it mean for God to be God? It means that he rules. It means that he has the right to say good things or to bring good things or to call you to good things or bad things that we might see or perceive to be bad, uh, that God is, is working in such a way in accordance with his wisdom as only God can do. Uh, so many of the things that we seek, we find when we find we lay hold of them, we find we really didn't want that. And how did we not know? Uh, but well, we did not know because we're not God. We don't know all things. But He who knows all things, we can entrust ourselves to, because He's benevolent, because He's righteous and just, and because He's loving and kind, and we can trust that regardless of how things work in this fallen world, that God's plan is perfect, that he knows exactly what he's doing, and we do not. That's the bottom line. And submission of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt us and bring about his will and his work in our lives. So self-seekers are rewarded with wrath and indignation, those that put themselves on the throne, those that determine I'm going to go through life and grab whatever I can get and enjoy whatever I can enjoy, and that's what makes up life, self-seeking. They do not obey the truth, the scripture says. Uh, they ignore, there's an uh, ignoring of the truth, uh, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. My way or the highway. It's, it's the way it's got to be because I'm the one uh, that is in the center of the universe and there's no acknowledgement that God is God and that all things that we enjoy have been given by His gracious and kind hand and that uh, He has uh, in His mercies and goodness uh, given to us life and all the good things that we enjoy. Verse 9 then, uh, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Now notice that he goes back to this, this phrase here, to the Jew first and also of the Greek. Where did we first hear it? But verse, verse 16, right? Yeah, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and to the Greek. To the Greek, you know. Again, we're we're looking at this universal principle of of all, uh, all uh, 
Uh, all are unrighteous. All must live by faith, those that are righteous. <clears throat> and so here we find the evildoers are rewarded tribulation and distress. God is just, and he must <clears throat> act in accordance with righteousness and with his holiness. And God cares about the health of the universe. He cares <clears throat> about what's going on. Because he has delayed his wrath and delayed his judgment, sometimes people think that God is not dealing with the problem of evil in the world that we live in. He just doesn't care or he doesn't have the power to do it or something's wrong up there uh, that God is not acting as a benevolent God. But the fact that he is withdrew judgment and for a period of time in his great mercy uh, given opportunity for man to repent uh, expresses his kindness and goodness. And so evildoers are rewarded with tribulation and distress. It's the nature. It's a universal principle and a universal law. When you disobey God's word, there's a consequence for it. Right? Why is it that we're so stubborn and hard-headed in regard to those truths? We disobey God's word. We do what he, he tells us. We do contrary to what he tells us. And we find that, man, this, this didn't work out so good. And, and what do we do in light of that? We don't turn and repent. We, we try to figure out some other course that takes us deeper and further away from, uh, from, uh, from where we need to be. Because uh, we find, like the, the Israelites, when they wouldn't go up and take Kadesh Barnea, and God said, well, you've blown your chance, then they decided they were going to go up and take Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea against God's word. And, and it was worse than the beginning. Uh, it just, that's the way we are. It's the nature. We see it over and over. It runs throughout the Old Testament. And it's true of each one of us. We have that tendency to think those ways. <clears throat> but there's tribulation and distress for disobedience to God's word. That's why our hearts need to be tender to it. And we need to be quick to respond to that truth. And then we find um, uh, verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first and also the Greek. And moving on to verse 10, uh, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why do you think there's a change? Remember, there's glory and honor and immortality. Uh, there was this list that Paul gave. Why do you think in verse 10 he changes that to glory and honor? What's changed? Immortality or incorruptibility, however you want to translate that word, is changed to peace for, for those. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. So this is speaking in a, in a temporal, in a more temporal sense, isn't it? It's, it's relating uh, the benefit and the glory of obedience to, to doing that which is good, to doing that which is in accordance to God's word, to submitting ourselves to his truth. With that, rather than, have you ever noticed that, that when you're in rebellion, that there's no peace 
There's absolutely no peace for the rebel. They never know peace in the heart. You know, and, and for the one who is stubbornly rebellious to the word of God, there's never peace there. It's the nature, it's the makeup that God has he's made us that way. And, uh, you know, we, we just, but peace comes when, when the storm ceases, uh, when there's compliance uh, of, the creator, uh, the, of the creature to the creator's will. And the Creator's wishes for that person. There's peace there that you may know as God's children that passes all understanding. That God desires for you to have as His people and as His children. And, and, it's, and it honors Him. It honors Him that, that glory is about His people. That honor is about His people. I will honor those who honor me. I will... Uh, bless those, but those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. It's a general, universal principle and truth that runs throughout Scripture, beginning to end throughout every dispensation. The righteous live by faith. And that faith produces glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to everyone who walks in light of God's Word, to the Jew first and also to you and me, to God's people. And then in verse 11, we find that there's no partiality uh, for, uh, for all the wicked and all the righteous. God shows no partiality. His character, His person is such that it's always true. It's something that's it's immovable. It's the, the nature of who He is. It's His attribute. Uh, and that attribute is, is a, a general principle and truth. God is impartially looking at you. God is impartially uh, uh, holding you accountable in your life for everything that you do, for the things that you even think, uh, and for the things that are done in secret. There's nothing that God does not assess and evaluate about your life. The Scripture says that that we're God's workmanship. He not only has called us into His service, but He's He's provided in His workmanship everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, he's He's made you into a trophy of grace, and it's honor. It's it's glory for you. Uh, it's glory for you because you reflect the the beauty and the person of your Creator as we walk in light of His truth. Father in heaven, we pray for Your mercies that we might walk in light of the truth of Your Word that we might embrace as Your people those things that You've given to us in Your Word and that, Lord, we, we simply ask that You would break up the fallow ground of our hearts. Lord, help us to be people that are tender toward Your Word that are quick to respond in obedience. And may we know the power uh, of Your Spirit at work within us that we would be able to do what we can't do by the strength of our flesh. But may we walk with You and may we be among those that are counted as those uh, uh, that are just because we live by faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.